The Black Doctors Podcast highlights the stories of minority professionals with the goal of inspiring others. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share with others, because the next generation can't be what they don't see. Tune in every Monday to hear our stories told by us. Hello and welcome back to the Black Doctors Podcast. Thank you for joining us this month as we celebrate some incredible women. Today, I am privileged to be speaking with Brittany Robbins. She is the founder and CEO of the Gray Matter Experience, where the, the mission of the Gray Matter Experience, sorry, the mission of the Gray Matter Experience is to unlock the self-determining power of Black youth and strengthen their ties to community through real-world experience and entrepreneurship. Brittany, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thanks so much for having me. So first, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, where'd you go to school and, and what do you study? Absolutely. So I'm originally from uh, Quincy, Illinois. So it's about five hours uh, southwest of Chicago in the middle of nowhere. If you think of Illinois, we are on the very most western uh, tip of Illinois. So uh, born there, I graduated high school as a junior and left to go to the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign where I spent four years um, studying creative writing and rhetoric uh, and got my English uh, minor from there and a rhetoric uh, degree. So graduated in 2009 um, and moved to Chicago the summer after um, to start my career. And what were you starting that career in? I thought uh, I would be starting it in uh, journalism and publications. So initially the idea was to start a teen-run magazine for teens by teens. It was called BU Magazine and really just to give uh, youth a voice. Um, That changed very quickly once I moved to Chicago and realized I had no network, had no (laughs) connections to, uh, to teenagers, and also didn't have any capital to start a business. So I had to get realistic and uh, go into the workforce which was uh, difficult at the time because, as you heard me say, I graduated in 2009, so the job market was still pretty uh, rough at the time. So I did quite a bit of pimping uh, before I landed at Honda Financial Services. was my first official job out of college. And how long did you work before you had the idea to start your own business? So I worked at Honda for two years and then left Honda and went to uh, a, a startup company. It was a portfolio company of a venture capital firm uh, in the West Loop. Uh, the company was called Doggy Loop. The venture capital firm was called Sandbox Industries. Uh, so I worked there for about a year and a half. And sort of as I was at Sandbox, I started to have some sort of like interest and curiosity around why there weren't more people that looked like me in these spaces, but just kind of put it on, on the back burner was still new to Chicago. So I was still trying to understand the landscape. Um, I worked at that startup for about a year and a half doing account management, copywriting, you name it. It was a startup, so we did it all. And left there in around 2013 uh, because I wanted to do something a bit more impactful, uh, just realizing how much time we spend at work. I wanted to make sure the work that I was doing was going to hopefully change someone's life in some way. So Mm -hmm. I left Doggy Loot and uh, started working for another nonprofit organization that 
at the time to what we do with gray matter uh, in the sense that they would go into South and West side high schools and teach entrepreneurship to high school students. And I worked there for three years as a program manager. And that's sort of where I fell in love with the mission, uh, the vision of entrepreneurship for youth and, and really just started to see what a difference it could make in students' lives. And so I worked there for three years. Uh, the last year that I was there really just started to see uh, a lot of gaps and holes in the business model that the company I was working for had, as well as uh, just opportunities in the uh, broader landscape to start to connect more of the resources that we have access to to our communities. I really started to see at this time also just how segregated Chicago was and mm. how that translates into what our students believe is possible for them and sort of what their sights are set on. Uh, and so there was a lot happening. This is all around sort of that 2015 time frame. So I ended up actually leaving that company in 2016 in May and starting Gray Matter July of the same year. Wow. And like I said uh, uh, previously, I know very little about venture capital or venture capitalism, uh, if that's a thing. Um, so for our listeners and for myself, could you kind of explain just how the venture capital world works and, and what that job entails? Sure. I can give you uh, what I know, which is also not a lot because it is a very, very nuanced um, industry for sure. So uh, what I understand about venture capital is it's an organization uh, a bunch of people that get money together from other folks that have a bunch of money and essentially put pool funds together to invest in companies. Essentially, they make all of their money back from how successful uh, these companies do that they invest in. And so a lot of the companies that you see today that end up going uh, public uh, have been invested in by some sort of venture capital firm. And so uh, the one that I was working for specifically back in 2013, they focused a lot on healthcare and agriculture. And so for folks maybe interested in that world, what can you do to set yourself up to work in venture capitalism? Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I would say the good thing is the VC space right now is trying to do everything in their power to become more diverse. Um, it has historically been an old white man's uh, boys club. And so it's, uh, it is trying very desperately to uh, really diversify not only uh, their staff, but uh, the pipeline of companies that they invest in. And so I think for black and brown folks right now is a good time to really uh, start to think about what does a career in VC look like and how could you, how could you, uh, sort of migrate your way into that space. Uh, I've, internships are always a great way to sort of get your feet wet, um, coming in and volunteering time. Um, a lot, like I said, a lot of spaces, places right now are looking for diverse candidates who have backgrounds in finance. Um, at the beginning of June, I actually um, started working for a Black-owned venture capital firm here in Chicago called mm-hmm. Cleveland Avenue. And so, again, I, I think about my story all the time and just – it. My journey uh, through this whole space has been very, very untraditional. And some people work and build their whole lives and careers around getting into VC. And then some of us, like myself, just happen to be doing the work that is adjacent <laughs> to uh, that is adjacent to what they're looking for. And again, sort of creating that diversity pipeline. Uh, and so you just happen to end up in these spaces. So I'd say if you're interested, just start doing some research, see what roles are available, see how you can make yourself an asset. Um, I've worked, you know, at the current company that I'm working with. Uh, there's folks there that are coming from backgrounds in CPG, uh, but all around finance. So if you can get yourself steeped in some finance, I think it's a lot easier to get into BC. Fantastic. So in 2016, you had this dream to create 
the gray matter experience? Yeah. So it was a, it was a lot going on around 2016 uh, that just made it very clear that this is the work that I was positioned, purposed, and supposed to be doing. Um, the job that I was working for prior to starting Gray Matter, uh, just to be fully transparent, was just a very toxic work environment. Um, and I knew that I was going to leave. I just didn't know what I was going to do next. And I started looking for jobs in other cities and just trying to figure out what was next. And one day it hit me. It was like, you don't, you don't hate your job. You hate this job. Um, and so it was like, if that's the case and if this is what you want to continue to do, there's nothing else out there that really exists where you can just sort of get into it. And you've also amassed a lot of knowledge, resources, and have a perspective of which you feel like you could make this space better for the participants. And so for me, um, like personally, there, there was just a lot of uh, draw to, okay, let's try it. Like, let's try our hand at entrepreneurship. We know that at the end of it, I'll have more knowledge. I'll have more experience. And so I can always grow my resume from this. I can always come back into the job market. That's what I so choose. But right now, I think it's time for me to take a bet on myself. And so once I decided um, that that was what I was going to do, I spent a really long time uh, and a lot of my hours dedicated towards doing research. Um, so not only like comparing it, comparing the model that I had for Gray Matter um, to the job that I was currently working but also just doing research around the country to see how else folks were engaging youth and entrepreneurship, specifically black and brown youth, and what uh, what were the differences, sort of the gaps, the holes, the opportunities, the things that were working there, and essentially sort of created this master spreadsheet of like all the do's and don'ts of uh, what folks were doing. Mm -hmm. And Gray Matter was sort of burst out of seeing what was working well, what wasn't working well, what didn't quite exist, and using my own experience of working with youth in the same space uh, to sort of craft an experience that I thought would be a bit more impactful, that would get to our, our point of getting more steeped into the community and making this more uh, realistic for, for folks, because I felt like a lot of the solutions that were on the marketplace at the time were theoretic. So we're teaching from a textbook, we're having them simulate making a business, and then once the course is over, that's it for them, right? So we, we've not made any real uh, mentor connections for them. We've not given them any internships in these spaces. Um, we've not given them any funding to actually start this idea or, or given them sort of a space to see, like, if this theoretic business that I just put together could work, what does that look like? So that was what was happening personally. I think on a broader scale, um, a, working that job, like I said, really allowed me to see the disparities across Chicago and just how South and West Side communities are continually, continually left out of the conversation. It allowed me also to see, because I was being invited to all these spaces and places where entrepreneurs, you know, are thriving. So you think about your 1871s, your techie, your co-working spaces. Mm -hmm. And again, this is sort of at the beginning of all of that unfolding. Again, this notion of where are the people that look like me? Why, why is it that I know entrepreneurship is such a lifeblood of black communities, but yet in these spaces and places that exist for entrepreneurs, I never see my people. Right. And so it was just sort of a curiosity around what is the disconnect and why, why aren't these places more inclusive? Why aren't there uh, opportunities for our folks to sit around the table? And so what really sort of spurred everything was Sandra Bland's murder. Uh, this was in 2015. She was the sister of a good friend of mine. Mm -hmm. And it took a very, very heavy toll on me. And so going into work every day and having to carry that burden with an all white staff, and we worked on behalf of 
all black and brown students and never having a conversation, never a check-in, never anything about the wow. well-being of the black employees. To me, it was, it was a moment where I decided in my mind that when I left this job, anything else that I do for the rest of my career will be on behalf of black people. And it was in that moment that I just decided if, if nobody else is going to do it, if, if, if we can continue to pour our time, talent, energy into these companies and organizations that truly don't care about us, like, and it, it's been made very clear on, on several levels, then I have to do what I can to be the person that cares. And so for me, it was just sort of all of those things culminating to lead me to starting the Great Matter experience. Wow. Yeah, that was a lot. That, yeah, well, that was a lot. And clearly, uh, you're quite successful at it. Out of curiosity, how much time did you spend researching the business before you, you started? Sure. So because I had already had three years of uh, actual like tactical experience under my belt, um, it made the researching part of it a little easier. So I um, made up my mind in January of 2016 that I was leaving that company and I left in May. So I would say from January until May, honestly, was a lot of the R&D that was happening. Not only was I doing research and sort of building the spreadsheet out, contacting places, you know, putting my name into forms and seeing what their process was, uh, but then also reaching out to my network behind the scenes and just saying, hey, I'm thinking about starting this thing. Would you be a mentor? Could you be a guest speaker? Um, could we use your space to host the program? How can we get some sort of laptops or computers for the students? So I was doing a lot of that work as well in tandem, doing the research as I was sort of building out what the model would look like. You were hustling. So then you started your company. So how, how did that startup get off the ground? Yeah. So, um, I had saved as much money as I possibly could before I left that job. I was able to get a whole bunch of people and a whole bunch of stuff like pro bono. So a lot of folks were donating space. CDW donated like 25 laptops and a printer to us. Uh, we were able to use uh, Blue 1647, which was a Black-owned tech incubator. Uh, we were able to use them as our first location for our program, and they gave us a pretty steep discount on space. And so, A, I will say community was a huge part of it, like being able to have folks in my network that trusted me, believed in me, loved the idea, had volunteered with me for the other job and knew that this was something that was needed. It was, it was a great help. The second thing that happened is within, like, <laughs> this is also how I knew this is the work that I was supposed to be doing because too many things were going right, um, which is not what you hear when you <laughs> usually start a business. It's usually like, oh my God, it was terrible. It was horrible the first couple months, the first year. Um, and, and partially that is true. But I would say in that first six months, we got we got so much support, like I said, be, between the community, and then we applied for a grant, um, and it was my first time ever sort of writing a grant for a gray matter, and we got it uh, through the city, uh, and it was a $25,000 grant, so that sustained us for our first year, uh, just being able to run programming, to have space to host uh, the programs, and then to be able to like pay myself some sort of piddly salary at that time. So (laughs) um, that's sort of how it got got off the ground, at least. And so the business has been up for what going on? This is our uh, fifth year anniversary. So March, we will be five years old. March, March 21st is the date. So all right. um, Yeah, it's 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 changed and grown so much. And um, it's so funny. This is the longest job I've ever held in my whole career. So <laughs> I also find that hilarious. 
So in just five years, you've been incredibly successful. You have been voted one of the 20 most inspiring Chicagoans. You were also voted um, in the, on the list of the 26 most influential Chicagoans, number two behind Chance the Rapper, or should we say Chance the Rapper narrowly beat you out for the number one spot? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's been really, really great, um, not only to do the work, but then to get recognition for it. And, um, you know, it, it started early on, uh, which I found to be funny as well, uh, I think I got my first award for the organization uh, in 2016. And so I'm always like, personally, I that is not something I care about. But the world cares about that stuff, right? So <laughs> right. it always helps to add credibility to the work that you're doing. Um, it helps to, to get people's attention. And so it has been great that even though I would say a lot of the work that we do is very low key and that, you know, it's been very much on a small grassroots level that recognition from these publications and, and these awards that I've gotten over the years have really, again, helped to sort of um, provide a platform and a space for people to know about us and hear about the work that we're doing. And so over time, it's just gotten more and more and uh, gotten greater and greater uh, so that now, you know, I'm, I'm able to sort of have the number two spot next to chance and, um, <laughs> and still, be, <laughs> still be able to galvanize those opportunities to bring more more resources into the organization. So that part is a blessing for sure. And in 2020, you actually expanded and were able to hire additional staff? Yes, finally. So we haven't talked much about the mechanisms of the program, but I'll get into that just a little bit so you can understand the scope of work that I was doing alone versus uh, <laughs> us, us now having um, two full-time folks. So in March, we hired our first full-time employee outside of myself, um, an operations manager, and um, I, truly the best first hire I could have made uh, initially when I thought about hiring someone. It was a program person, but I, I was a solopreneur for uh, four of those five years. And so a lot of the work that we had been doing while it was successful, while it was making an impact behind the scenes, it was very much like a one-woman show. And so we didn't have policies or procedures or, or anything around um, structures and operations. And so uh, we ended up bringing Jessica on to really just make sense of everything that I had built and done that far and put some structure around it so that as we continue to grow the team, it makes more sense and that we actually have the capacity to do that. So she's been a phenomenal help. Um, she wears, as I do, a ton of different hats because uh, we're, we're two women, uh, you know, doing, doing all functions of the org right now, but, um, it, it truly did increase capacity of the organization, you know, twofold, um, by bringing her on in March. So I'm, I'm super blessed that we were able to get her. Fantastic. And I know we've talked a lot about how you built this organization and we're going to talk a little bit about what the organization actually does. So I read the mission statement. It says the mission is to unlock the self-determining power of black youth and strengthen their ties to community through real world experience and entrepreneurship. So what does your programming look like? Sure. It has changed a lot, but now we are, I think we are now finally in our groove. So currently we have seven different programs that we run and offer across, mostly across Chicago, but we also have worked with students outside of Chicago as well. So I'll give you sort of the history and run you through how things have changed. So when we started, uh, it was a nine-week boot camp. Um, and the way that we had it structured was a Saturday workshop 
where we would recruit students from all across the city. We'd accept up to 30 of them. And these are all 14 to 19 year olds. Um, and so we meet on Saturdays for five hours. And the goal is A, expose them to business content and knowledge. B, expose them to people that look like them in these roles. So bringing in guest speakers, workshop facilitators, and folks who have had success in entrepreneurship and business. And then C, also take them around the city to different places and spaces so they can make sense of this in a tangible way. Uh, and so hands-on field trips to experiential learning, um, to do, you know, 3D printing or laser cutting or learning how to mix and uh, master music. There's been a whole bunch of things. We, we brought in a Black-owned hair care company so they could engineer their own hair products. So lots of different things just so they can make sense of, like, what does being a maker, what does being an entrepreneur actually look like? So over the course of the nine weeks, you know, they're learning how to build a business. They're working in teams either to further an idea that they came in the program with or to come up with one together with their teammates. And the goal here is really uh, what we like to say in Gray Matter is if there is something that you continue to have to go out of your neighborhood for or it doesn't exist currently, how can you create that? What are the experiences mm -hmm. you would like to see for black people, for black communities that you could create? Um, and so those are sort of the prompts that we lead them with, and they work over those nine weeks to sort of build it out. At the end of it, we have our uh, culmination event, which is our pitch black student pitch competition. So they pitch their ideas for seed funding and pro bono resources. So those typically include pro bono legal services, accounting services, and like graphic design services for their first year of operations. And so then they go on to a summer accelerator. And in that summer accelerator, then we help to take that idea and make it a real thing. So they go through a whole process like building out a go-to-market strategy, building out their sales strategy, their partner list, et cetera, et cetera, so that they can actually launch the company. And so we did that model uh, four different times. And the sort of result of that is that we were able to launch eight fully incorporated teen-run businesses that range from apps that connect teens to jobs in their zip codes to an organic do-it-yourself lipstick company. Um, there is a group that did a book that helps low-income students navigate the college process. Hmm. There's a group called Strength Together that is a mental health app that supports guidance counselors to better support teenagers in schools that have mental health issues. Uh, and so the, the ideas have ranged all across the board. And so that was our model pre-COVID, um, was in-person, Saturday workshops, the 12-week boot camp. It, it migrated from a nine-week to a 12-week boot camp, and then the summer accelerator. Um, COVID kind of shifted things because we weren't necessarily well-suited to do virtual programming, uh, especially with a team of two, uh, neither of which have any technical experience. It, it, it's been uh, very difficult to sort of navigate how, what's the best delivery of our programs. And then also just thinking about the disparities, right, of the students that we serve. A lot of them are in, you know, low-income communities and don't necessarily have the most reliable technology or access to technology. And so what is our, what is our means of, of continuing to support these students? So, since then, we've sort of changed internally a lot of our curriculum and a lot of the ways that we talk about entrepreneurship, having seen how much COVID impacted Black businesses and how sort of uh, ill-prepared Black businesses were to receive funding, PPP loans, government support, because, you know, your back, back house is not in order and that you haven't been keeping good books and that you don't necessarily have revenue um, or employees, right? So... We have sort of adopted our 
curriculum around what we saw happen to our communities this summer. And so we took that 12-week boot camp and we broke it apart into three different ones. Um, we have now ideate, activate, and accelerate. One is a nine-week, one's a 10-week, and one's a 12-week boot camp. IDA is all about how do we come up with strong business ideas, generate great ideas, what are strategies and tactics around that, activate us all around now that we have the idea, how do we validate it, how do we get customer feedback and incorporate it into the model and build a MVP, and then accelerate is now that we've done both of those steps, how do we actually build this company and make it a thing? And so those are the three sort of direct service programs that we have. We started a seasonal social media challenge called Pitch Black Unplugged. That's a way for us to just sort of prompt students across the country to think about um, this particular prompt was how do we help black businesses rebound from COVID and what happened. And they come up with their own business solutions for that. We give them seed funding and further mentorship to help develop that. We have a program that's launching in April called Hustle Hacks. Hustle Hacks uh, is the program that's directly related to sort of the COVID fallout. And that is for students and young adults. Um, this is our first program that we're doing for students outside of just teenagers. So um, we also have expanded the age range to 18 to 22 for this program. But essentially, if you have a business, whether you're customizing shoes or you're doing hair or you're making uh, lip gloss, you're, you're doing the work, you're passionate about it, but you don't necessarily, again, have that business sense about how do I, how do I do marketing? How do I, what are, what are sales? You know, how do I uh, keep my books in order? So this program is all, uh, all digital self-paced program to help hustlers make better sense of their business practices and have better business practices. We go into high schools and teach entrepreneurship over the course of a semester through our in-school programs. And then we also have what's called our auxiliary programs, where we are licensing out our curriculum to other organizations so that they can train their students how uh, how to be entrepreneurs. Um, and then in between all of that, we do one-day summits, we do, you know, three-day experiences, you name it. We're sort of getting in where we can fit in to make sure <laughs> that we're training students about entrepreneurship. Wow. That is absolutely amazing that you yourself as an entrepreneur are creating more and more entrepreneurs out there as well? Yeah, I think, honestly, even if you don't choose to be a full-time entrepreneur, you know, A, entrepreneurship is, like I said, it's a lifeblood of our community. And there, there has to be somewhere, some place, some space that is providing sort of relevant opportunities for people to learn how to do that the right way. Um, and not the taking shortcuts way, and not the going in three different back doors, but how do we actually get our communities well-equipped to be better uh, poised for venture backing, for bank loans, for, um, you know, exits at the, end of, at the end of the day? How do we get some of this wealth back into our communities? And so, again, I see myself as privileged getting a chance to sit around the table with the big wigs and, and the folks that are making the decisions and for me, it's about how do we use gray matter as a vessel to get that information to our communities. And I think it's just really important, especially today. There's, there's so much misinformation. There's so, there's so much knowledge that to have centralized places and spaces where you can come and get the support and the social capital um, and just have someone sort of hold your hand through that process, I just think it's very important. And I like to say all the time for myself, if I had a gray matter in my life, um, especially as a teenager, 
like the, the trajectory that my life would have taken and how much faster I would have gotten to where I am now, it would have been, you know, insane. And so that's essentially what we're trying to do is the faster we can help our students get there and make sense of it, the faster we'll start to see that in our communities. We'll start to see more black businesses that do have employees and, and are actually making money and can make an impact where they're at and start to impact the unemployment rates and, you know, just a lot of the things that we currently don't have. That's sort of our big long-term vision for Gray Matter is just by using this as a vehicle, what can it do for us in the future? Absolutely. So, Brittany, how can folks get in touch with you and with Gray Matter, whether they're students interested in the program, whether they're folks looking to volunteer or even to donate? Yeah, absolutely. Um, donate is key. Uh, we would love to have folks sign up, you know, for monthly monthly donations. It's a, it's a very small commitment to, to help us further the mission that we have going. But all of that is listed on our website, which is www.graymatterexperience.com. That's gray with an A. Um, and on there, there's a tab for volunteers. So if you are interested in volunteering, it'll tell you more about those opportunities and take some information on you so that we can put you in the right place. For students, again, there's a program tab that tells you all about our programs, and you can apply for whatever programs are open right now. Currently, Hustle Hacks is a program that um, we currently have applications for, which is launching in April. Um, and then we also have donate links. You can't them all over our website. Uh, also encourage you to follow us on social. We're at Gray Matter EXP. Uh, again, that's gray with an A. Uh, all over the internet, and that's a way that you can kind of see live updates of like the programs that we have going on, different initiatives that we're working on. Um, and so definitely encourage you, even if you are past the age or not interested, please share the word. Um, a lot of what we're trying to do this year is really just raise our profile um, and, and bring more awareness to the work that we so we can galvanize more support and resources for these uh, teens and young adults. Well, Brittany, you're such an incredible and inspirational person. Uh, we're so happy we're able to come and, and hear from you and the things that you're doing. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate always being able to share my story and, again, bring some awareness to the work that we're doing over here and really appreciate the platform and the work that you all are doing on the Black Doctors podcast as well. <laughs> yeah. As we wrap up, though, in addition to being an entrepreneur, businesswoman, all of the above, business person, um, you're also an author? <laughs> yes, amongst, amongst many other things. Um, 2015, before I decided to go full-time into entrepreneurship, I wrote a uh, children's book, wrote and published a children's book um, about my dog who is currently following me around the house. Um, <laughs> he's a three-pound teacup Yorkie, and people are obsessed with him. I literally cannot get down the block without... 10,000 questions about who he is and what, what his life story is. So I thought my entrepreneurial spirit was, was active even then. I thought there's a way that I can leverage this for money. I don't know what it is yet. So I took that degree that I got from U of I and wrote up a quick children's book. Um, initially, it was going to be a children's book series, but life took over um, and the real work kind of got in the way of that. But if you look on Amazon, there is actually a book that I published called The Adventures of Buster and Duval. Um, that is good for uh, kids ages four to eight early reader book. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us. I know I definitely learned a lot. I'm definitely inspired just hearing your story. Thank you so much. That's the goal. That's the plan, right? It's, it's to further help people reach their own potential and reach their purpose. And I think once we all, once we're all there, 
uh, the world to be a much better place. So I encourage you all to chase whatever that is that is uh, burning inside you because the world needs it. And congratulations on five years. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's a big deal. It's really a big deal. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you, Brittany. We'll, we'll definitely keep in, in touch and, and keep an eye on what you're doing uh, via social media. Awesome. Sounds great. Good luck to all of you. Black Doctors Podcast is a nonprofit volunteer passion project with the goal of inspiring all who listen. Tune in next week for another episode of the Black Doctors Podcast with Dr. Stephen Bradley, your friendly neighborhood anesthesiologist.